you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 20. If you're visiting with us, you can also pull out the black Bible on the chair in front of you. Go towards the back. Find page 110. 110. 110, you'll find... Acts 20, we're going to start reading verse 17 through the end of the chapter, verse 38. Again, Acts 20, 17 through 38. 20, 17 through 38. I'll read the passage, then we'll begin our study. And from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. When they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How he did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the grace excuse me of the gospel of the grace of God and now behold I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will see my face no more therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with the blood of his own son. I know that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves men will rise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alerts. Remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build up and to give the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my needs and to the men who are with me. And everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things he knelt down and prayed with them all. He began to weep aloud embracing Paul He repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially of the word which he had spoken that they should see his face no more. And they were accompanying him to the ship. OregonLive.com 
has an article that reads, quote, Read the desperate letter Nazi war criminal Adolf Eichmann wrote to save his own skin. Adolf Eichmann, to the very end, maintained he was merely following orders. In 1962, just before his execution, the Nazi war criminal wrote a letter in German to Israeli presidents in which he pled for his life. The handwritten letter in which Eichmann tried to shift blame from his own murderous actions to those of his superiors, it was released this month for the International Holocaust Remembrance Day, which I think was celebrated on Thursday. The New York Times provided an English translation. You can go online, Google Adolf Eichmann, you can read about his what he did with, within the Nazis um, uh, as a commander in the Nazi army. But l- l- listen to what he says here in this letter. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just, just a, a small portion of it, like the end of it. Listen to what he says. Quote, There is a need to draw a line between the leaders responsible and the people like me forced to serve as mere instruments in the hands of the leaders. I was not a responsible leader, and as such do not feel myself guilty. I'm not able to recognize the court's ruling as just, and I ask your honor, Mr. President, to exercise your rights to grant pardons and order that the death penalty not be carried out. End quote. Well, he was hanged in 1962. Desperate. He was desperate to save his own skin. Desperate means feeling or showing or involving a hopeless sense that a situation is so bad as to be impossible to deal with. Eichmann desperately wanted to live and not face the gallows. What are you feeling or showing? What's, what do you involve? with a hopeless sense that a situation is so bad as to be impossible to deal with. Are you desperate? Is there something or someone we should be desperate about? As a church, what should we be desperate over? What should we just... The situation would be impossible without this. Our passage actually answers that question. As we come to this part in Acts, just do it. Just just be who you are. May God use us to fulfill His mission. Here we will see we must be desperately devoted to God's gospel word of grace. This is where we will stand and where we will fall as a church. Desperately devoted, passionately committed, intentionally driven to God's gospel word of grace. The gospel word. A statement, short statement. God wants us to be desperately devoted to his gospel word. 
And you want to know why we're desperately devoted to God's gospel word? We're desperately devoted to it because we see our own need of grace. We see our horrible sin. We see our our horrible thoughts and deeds and actions, the words coming out of our mouths, and we see how God should judge us and condemn us, and yet He's gracious and kind. He loves. It's amazing. We see our need for grace, so we're desperately devoted to grace. For us to mature for us to have the assurance of God's love, for us to be protected from error and division, we must be a church that proclaims, teaches, and lives out God's gospel word of grace. We proclaim it, we teach it, and we live it. We proclaim it, we teach it, we live it. It just comes out of us. It's it's just who we are. There's another way to put it. In other words, we must be a church that embraces Jesus' words that there's much more satisfaction to giving than receiving. A church that follows Paul's example and heeds Paul's exhortation. It's better, it's much more of a blessing to give than receive. Is that not the essence of the gospel? I mean, God could have just wiped us all out and said, I'm starting over. Gee, Adam and Eve. <laughs> Forget it. I'm done. Jesus? Holy Spirit? Okay. Two thumbs up. We're in. Done. He doesn't. God loves to give of Himself. And, and you might say, well, how is it more of a blessing to God for him to give than receive he gives of himself because he ends up receiving the blessing receiving the fact that he is glorified in all his goodness and his compassion his gentleness that he's a God who's so good and so kind to sinners when he doesn't need to be that's how he gets the blessing that's how he gets satisfaction Paul He proclaimed, he taught, he lived the gospel of grace. And as he did that himself, now what he does, he exhorts the elders of the Ephesian church, and really the whole church. They're the leaders of the church, he's doing the leaders, but don't just think it's just for the leaders, it's the leaders, and then for them to pass it along to the people. So he exhorts the elders in the church to do the thing that he did, proclaim it, teach it, and live it, the gospel of grace. Paul wanted to see a healthy Ephesian church. So he addressed her leaders with this final loving, caring, exhorting speech. Friends, God wants to see a healthy Cottonwood Bible church. So he's going to exhort us today here in, in Acts 20, 17-38. Exhort us through this loving, caring, exhorting speech calling us to rely upon Him, 
on His plan, upon His Spirit. And the real living presence of Jesus is with us. And He will help us to fully rely upon Him and to be a church that's devoted desperately to this gospel word of grace. I mean, what we see even behind this, um, the speech that Luke records for us, that Paul speaks to the elders of the Ephesian church, such strong emotions. They had such a love for Paul. He had such a love for them. Paul the pastor. He, he passed on the torch to the leaders and to the church. They meant so much to him. Serving them with humility, with tears, diligently, with, with the right priorities. Serving them without greed, working hard. That's what you see here. It's coming out of the text. So let's start with the how. Follow Paul's example. Number one, we have two points. Follow Paul's example, heed Paul's exhortation. So what's Paul's example? How does, does he do this? How do we follow his example, I should say? What does he do? He lived out the gospel word of grace. He proclaimed and taught the gospel word. He lived it out. He proclaimed it and taught it. This is what he did. We follow his example. So we'll hit verses 17 through 27. We'll skip over to verse 31, then in, into, over to verse 33 to verse 38, okay? He summoned the elders of the Ephesian church, verse 17, from Miletus. And they came to him. They're, they're, they're the ones that are responsible for shepherding and guiding God's church. He begins and even ends his speech speaking about his faithfulness in his ministry. Notice, he says, You yourselves know, from the first day I set foot in Asia, I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, tears with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you publicly and from house to house. He's speaking about his faithfulness to them. The leaders... And the people can see Paul's life as an example. Faithfulness, love, compassion. Not to mention he didn't withhold the truth. When he was with them the whole time, he was serving the Lord with all humility, tears, and the trials that rose up because of the Jews coming against him. Now, he was devoted to the Lord. He was devoted to the Word, the Gospel Word. He wasn't silent from declaring to them things that will be profitable for them. They were challenging. They might not want to hear this. But he knew it would be profitable. He knew it would be good for them. He knew it would help them. Whether it was in public, whether it was in private, he did it both. Do you notice what it says here? With humility, tears, with trials. You see that? We need leaders like this. We need leaders who are humble, who are caring and sacrificial. We need church members like this. Church members who are humble, caring and sacrificial. 
This is the type of people we need to be. Why? Because it's God's gospel word of grace. He saved us and it's working in and through us. So we are a people who are humble. We are a people who are gracious. We are a people that have such care for each other. We are a people that are so devoted to this gospel word will sacrifice anything for it. Paul faithfully spoke about encouraging and challenging things to prepare them for the opposition that comes upon the one who does faithfully proclaim the gospel word. He didn't dilute it. He didn't skip around. He proclaimed and taught it completely. Notice what he says in verse 21. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Two aspects of the gospel the response of the gospel repent and believe repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin what's the coin? conversion repentance faith repent means a change of direction and how one relates to God that's how one writer puts it you're going in this direction you change directions Faith is placing trust in what God has done through the Lord Jesus Christ, embracing both Jesus' person and work. So there's a change of direction and then there's embracing. Change of direction and you trust Jesus. Repent and believe. That's how you respond to the gospel. So Paul's ministry he was faithful, proclaiming necessary truth, testifying to Jesus to all, calling them to repent and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's how you respond to the gospel of grace. God is so gracious, He should condemn hell-bound sinners, and He doesn't. He shows compassion to them. In the Lord Jesus Christ, sending Jesus who lived perfectly was crucified on the cross as a substitute for sinners God unleashed his wrath upon him and God was so satisfied with his sacrifice of his life he resurrected him physically from the dead and he did that for all those who turn away from their sin repent and place their trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone by the way notice the two elements of the response of the gospel. The response of the gospel again is repent and believe. Some think just repent. Some think you just believe. Some think repent is the same thing as believing. No, they're not. Repentance and believing there's two aspects of the response to the gospel. Repent and believe. Uh, another way to put it, one must embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. The essence of repenting and believing. A person does not simply embrace Jesus as Savior. Maybe some of you might know, somebody says, oh, you just accept Him as Savior. No, sure, He must embrace Him as Lord of their life. It's part of the Gospel. One writer says it like this, quote, Genuine faith demands repentance, and sincere repentance will continue to flow from saving faith. End quote. Are you here today? Are you here today and have not responded to the gospel? You have not turned from sin, the direction of your life, and put your trust in Jesus Christ alone. Do that today.
turn from sin and put your trust in Jesus. He's the only one who can save you. Nobody else can. Only Jesus Christ, who He is and what He's done for us as sinners. That's the essence of His grace. Going back to our text in verse 22 through 24, Paul says, Behold, I'm bound in spirit. I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going to happen to me there except the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city that bonds and afflictions await me. The Holy Spirit was telling him you're going to go to Jerusalem and there's going to be a lot of stuff for you. You're going to face a lot of trials. It didn't matter to Paul. Look at verse 24. I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel word of grace. The worth of his soul was found in doing what God wanted him to do. Which is proclaim the gospel. His desire was to accomplish or finish his course in ministry. Jesus had called him to a particular ministry to testify to the content of God's grace in the gospel. He thought of it as a race. Running a race. You know, like you're running a 5K, running a 10K, and you're going. That's what he thought of it. Here's the course I have to complete. Here's the, the way I have to go, the route I have to take. To, to finish this race. That's how he thought of it. And he'd be faithful to run it. His passion was to carry out this ministry he received from Jesus. So Paul was willing to lose his life for the sake of the ministry Jesus Christ had called him. He was willing to follow his master in suffering for testifying to the gospel of God's grace to sinners. That's the example we follow. We must also be like this. Well, I'm not called to full-time ministry. <laughs> yes, you are. You don't think you are? Something's wrong with you, Christian. You are called to full-time ministry. You should be proclaiming. You should be teaching. You should be living out the gospel. That's not ministry. Well, that's what we pay you to do, Pastor. Yeah, that's what I speak to you to do, member. How do you like that? I'll pull the pastor card out, right? That's your ministry. No. Our ministry. That's your ministry. That's our ministry. This is the way we should think of it. Just to be who you are. We are the church. We're a holy nation. We're the people of God's own possession, as Peter has said. We proclaim His excellencies. It should be like breathing. It should be as you're, you're exerting yourself and you start breaking up a little bit of a sweat. That's what should come out. Is proclaiming grace, teaching grace, living out God's grace. How in the world can we say we're Christians if we don't do that? Well, I just keep it to myself. What? 
that's ridiculous. Notice what Paul says in verse 25. Now behold, I, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, you're not going to see me again. Those who may preach the kingdom or the gospel of God, God's grace, there's other ways to say that. But then he says, Therefore I testify to you this day, I am pure of the blood of all men. Why? For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. I'm innocent of any responsibility. Should you, as leaders, or should you as the church fail? I proclaim the whole counsel of God to you. I didn't hold anything back. God's plan for humanity as revealed in the scriptures, fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, I gave it to you. He told them all they needed to know to stand firm in God's grace. He was pure of blood guilt. That's another way to put that. Interesting, when he says this, the language, when he says pure, it, it denotes worship. So, Paul, he saw his mission as an act of worship to be faithfully accomplished. Now, now that's an example of all. We should think of this ministry that God has called you, that God has called us, as an act of worship. And it is. Flip over to verse 31 now. Drop down verse 31. Therefore, beyond the alert, the second command, the first one is in verse 28. Beyond the alert, why? You should do whatever it takes to prevent false teaching. Why? Remembering my example. Night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you. I admonished you toward gospel faithfulness with tears, with love for you such compassion and loving care for you he says remember the pattern of my ministry night and day I'm doing this you go and do likewise you have the same passion follow my example I admonished you so something leaders should do to the people and really all of God's people should admonish it's another word where we get, we get the other word counsel we should be counseling each other in the word Oh, that's, that's, that's for the professionals, Jim. No, it's not. You're the professional because you know the gospel word. We know God's grace. I understand there's really difficult cases to deal with. I get that. A majority of cases, we take the gospel word and we minister, we admonish, we counsel each other in the gospel word of grace. Uh, go to verse 33 now. 33. He says, I have coveted no one's silver, gold, clothes. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my needs and the needs of those who are with me. Once again, he underscores his faithfulness, showing them by way of example how he ministered to them. I lived out this gospel word. I didn't covet your money. I didn't covet your clothes. I wasn't seeking some personal status. I actually worked for my own support. I wasn't greedy, but I, he's saying, I served you. He was living the gospel before them. 
Now, not to say a church should not support their elder or elders. But, but the key is using one's position for personal gain or, or coveting. A leader should not be tempted to consider ministry opportunities in economic terms instead of teaching love, grace, truth. He took care of his own needs and the needs of those with him. He worked hard. Notice it says, You yourselves know these hands minister to my own needs. Verse 35, And everything I showed you by working hard. In this manner, you must help the weak. Notice the word help. This word, Luke uses the word day. D-E-I, delta, epsilon, iota. It must happen. We must serve. We must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, He Himself said, is more blessed to give than to receive. Interesting question. Help the weak. Does He mean those who are weak in terms of poor? Or does He mean those weak in reference to those who are spiritually weak? I believe He's talking about spiritually weak. Spiritually weak in that it would have been a stumbling block for them to support Paul financially. That's why he said, I worked hard night and day in the previous verse. So, in other words, Paul lived the principle given by the Lord Jesus of giving rather than receiving. He gave his time, he gave his effort, he gave his work without some type of financial contribution. He just did it. In this way, and with this attitude, that's what the elders and the church should be. The focus of giving and serving each other, as Paul has so faithfully served them night and day with tears. We must be careful with the love of money. We must be a giving church, not a stingy church. And not just giving in reference to our financial, like giving to Eric, not just giving that, but giving to each other. Giving each other our time. Giving each other resources. Giving each other our ministry able, being able to ministry to each other and admonish and counsel each other. We're giving rather than receiving and taking. It's so opposite of our American culture. It's so opposite when people come to churches too. I mean, people they'll come to church, they say, what are you going to give to me? And that's not how it works around here. How are you going to give? How can you give? That's the gospel, right? Notice in 36 through 38, he said these things, he knelt down, he prayed with them. He wept aloud, embraced him repeatedly kissing him. You feel the emotion of this? The emotion of this departure? They love Paul so much. Tears, hugs, kisses. And do you see verse 38? Grieving, the word literally means experiencing pain. Experiencing pain why? What was the thing that was just, oh, they're feeling so much pain over, they're feeling so much pain over the fact that he said, I'm not going to see you again. They were so sad. And they accompanied him to the ship. It was heart-wrenching. But Paul, throughout the speech he's giving to them, he's saying, follow my example. I proclaim this gospel word. 
I taught it. And I lived it out before you. Follow my example. And then it leads us to number two. Heed Paul's exhortation. What do we heed? Proclaim, teach, live out the gospel word of grace. Pretty simple. He proclaimed it. He taught it. He lived it. Now we heed the exhortation. What's his exhortation? You proclaim it. You teach it. You live it. Starting in verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for the whole flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with the blood of his own son. The most important part of his speech, we could say. Practically, he was calling them to fulfill their God-given task. Theologically, the ground for the ministry of the elders and really of the church is the significant death of Jesus Christ. Take heed to yourselves and all the flock. A shepherd cannot adequately care for others if he neglects his own spiritual growth. Christian, you cannot care for others and minister to them if you neglect your own spiritual growth. For the elders, he says, you must fulfill your roles as overseers or or guardians or protectors. Notice, just touching verse 17 again, the elders of the church in Ephesus. Elders, plural, of the church, one in Ephesus. It's one church. Plural, plurality of men. So there's not some single bishop or a single overseer as the wrong, erroneous teaching that infiltrated the church in the second century. No, these group of men were called to oversee God's church and overseeing God's church was part of their role as shepherds the purpose of watching was pastoral care each true local assembly is precious to God and it must be treated with care and love an elder he says must oversee God's church shepherding or pastoring them he must protect rule and foster care and notice he says among which the Holy Spirit made you overseas the Holy Spirit had you be this he made you this he gave it to them and by the way you notice he's speaking to the elders who are called to oversee so that they could shepherd which is where you get the word pastor. The church. Elders, overseers, pastors. Elders are pastors. Pastors are elders. Elders elders are overseers. Overseers are pastors. Pastors are overseers. This is all the same thing. For some reason, oh, and it's plurality. For some reason, some Southern Baptists have a vendetta against the plurality of elders. I don't understand that because the text is very clear. Pastors are elders. I literally got my hand sawed off for teaching this when I first came here to this church. 
but elders are pastors. Pastors are elders. Look at the text at what it says. And it's this church whom God had purchased with the blood of His own Son. It's this church whom God had purchased with the blood of His own Son. This underscores the cost that God incurred to establish His church, His flock, His sheep, His people. God acquired the church through the substitution of His Son's blood. I don't, I don't have it up there, but the next part of my note says, so the elders' task is sacred. It's a sacred. Because this is His church. We have a senior pastor. His name is Jesus Christ. God took the initiative to have His Son suffer and die to restore broken humanity creating a whole new humanity. And it's seen in His church. We're all people groups that are one in Jesus Christ. This responsibility is huge. So Jesus' atoning work is the basis for the proclamation of forgiveness, but it's also for the forming and maintaining God's new community. God's new humanity. So, he says, be on guard. Why? Verse 29. Threats would come to threaten life and growth. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. The flock would be in danger of false teaching from false teachers who devoured and destroyed. These would be a serious menace to the flock. Wanting to draw them away from God's church for whom Jesus died. Wolves, notice he says, verse 30, and from among your own selves men will arise. So what does that mean? Well, it could mean from among their own selves, like the elders. Or it could mean from the church. Either way, it's bad. <laughs> Wolves, even from among yourselves, will arise. Notice he says, speaking perverse things, distorted things. It's a teaching that takes the disciples off the straight path of God's leading direction. How does God lead? How does God give his direction? In the gospel word of grace. That's how. So, Holding to the gospel protects us. Holding to the gospel word of grace is the very thing that protects us as a church. The gospel is essential. That's why the gospel must shape us as a church, influence us as a church. It's very easy for leaders to attract people to themselves instead of to the gospel word. It's, it's very easy for leaders to get approval of people instead of Jesus Christ. That's why I need you to pray for me. To be a good shepherd for you. 
That's why I need you to pray for us. That we would be this kind of church, not the savage wolf, not holding to the gospel type church. You take somebody like Isla, why is she here? You take someone like Anne, why is she here? Because we need them to pray for us, to pray for me. You might say, how does God use me in this church? Christian, wake up. You need to pray for this church. You need to pray that we will hold desperately to the gospel word. You need to pray for us in this. You need to pray for me in this. (laughs) And then you go to verse 32. Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. So what does Paul do? He entrusted them to God and the word of his grace. He, he commended them into God's care and protection. Okay, well, what does that mean? In other words, you cannot rely upon yourselves. You know, he just said, hold to the gospel of grace. Well, you're not going to be able to do that. You must rely on God's grace to help you to rely on God's grace. <laughs> Isn't that funny? So he says, I know you can't do this. So I'm entrusting you to his grace. In and of ourselves, we will fall away. That's why Peter says, in one, no, no, second. Nah, don't look it up, just say it. We're kept by the power of God. It's God's power who keeps us. It is in First Peter chapter 1. God's power keeps us. You can't rely upon yourselves. And then notice what he says now. I entrust you to God, the word of his grace. This word of grace which is able to build up and to give the inheritances among all those who are sanctified. Interesting. It's because it's this message of God's grace that will build them up and the message of God's grace that will give them the inheritance shared by all the saints. Listen, uh, through teaching the gospel word, God builds his church, and through teaching the gospel word, God promises an internal inheritance, inheritance to his people. Why does he say inheritance? It's just another way to explain the gospel of grace. The center of the gospel is God's grace in an inheritance. Friends, we will inherit the world. Whereby us, as His people, we inherit the world, this great and glorious kingdom, worshiping and serving our great and glorious King. Is that not grace? Oh yeah, it is. It's so much of God's grace. We're a bunch of loser sinners. And yet God has an inheritance for us. Or we will rule the world, the universe, with Jesus Christ as our pastor. What grace. So, it's this gospel word of grace by which God's church 
grows in size and maturity and is protected from error and wrong division. Through the gospel word, God converts sinners and sustains them until they reach the inheritance promised to them in the gospel. So, it's vitally important this gospel word of grace is faithfully followed in this church. So that you, us, we as Jesus followers are assured of God's love for us in Jesus Christ and we're encouraged to press on toward love. Press on towards unity. Press on towards grace. Press on in obedience in our relationships with each other and those of the world. It's vital to us because we see how much we need God's grace. It's vital because we see how much we needed God's grace. So the responsibility of elders, God's leaders, is to shepherd God's dearly loved people. Paul was obviously most concerned about them protecting God's work in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. So he entrusted them with God's grace and his gospel work. So in other words, this grace gospel word is the only thing that will serve as the protection of God's church. We must hold fast to the gospel word of grace in His Son. So shepherds must be equipped theologically and spiritually to protect God's people. How do they do that? They're proclaiming, they're teaching, they're living the gospel word of grace. The shepherds feed and protect the people in the gospel word. It's grounded in the gospel of word. If they have been changed by the gospel word of grace, then they'll serve as good shepherds. Understanding the cost paid for them and his people. I'll put it another way. If all of God's people have been changed by his word of grace, then they will serve each other. Understanding the cost that's been paid for them and for his people. You get that? So I put this up here earlier and I'll put it up one more time. For us to grow and mature. For us to have the assurance of God's love. For us to be protected from error and division. We must be a church that proclaims, teaches, and lives out God's gospel word of grace. I've been reading a book um, since January of this year by Paul David Tripp called Dangerous Calling. He says this, quote, now he's talking about pastors. It's a book for pastors, actually. He says this, no one gives grace better than a person who knows he desperately needs it himself. No one gives grace better than a person who knows he desperately needs it himself. And that's not just true for pastors. It's true for all of us, isn't it? So, in other words, we must be a church that embraces Jesus' words that there's more satisfaction to giving than receiving. 
church that follows Paul's example, we heed his exhortation. We give because we see how much God's given to us. Father, help us to know how much you love us in Jesus Christ. How much we desperately need you to show us grace so that we will see if you have, as you've given yourself so much to us. May we give so much to each other. Showing the same gracious love. As you've shown it to us in Jesus, sending him, having him die for sinners like us. Saving us, rescuing us, loving us. Do that in us. Take a few moments if you would. Have a few moments of silence. Maybe pray for us as a church. Pray for you as an individual. Take a few moments of silence to think and ponder what we've seen here in the book of Acts. And then after a few moments, we'll have our time of giving, singing our last two songs, and then closing prayer. Sit, think, ponder.